Welcome to episode 27 of the Care Team Podcast, Change the Way You Think, Change Your Life, which comes from Romans 12.2. Today is March 18th, 2021, and we'll be talking about alcoholism today. We have a soft start to kind of get us ready. We have St. Patrick's Day was uh, on Wednesday the 17th, and this is airing on the 18th. So where was, and we have a, a few questions, and it's, uh, it's all just for bragging rights, um, but where was the real St. Patrick born? I don't know. You don't know? I don't know. What country? I, I'm going to take a guess, and, and all my family that listens to this is going to be angry at me for not having the right answer. But I guessed France earlier. I'm going to stick with that guess. Okay. I said Scotland earlier, which I'm terrible with geography, so I don't think that's a country. But yes, it is. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, I'm country. so bad it's, with geography. And it's a good guess. It's a it's good, a good guess. guess. That's what I'm going with, then, yeah. Okay, I'm just going to have to side with Tom because he knows more about St. Patrick's Day oh, than anybody else. this I is going to be so. a time you're going to be sorry, I think. Britain. Okay. So zero okay. points on that one. Okay. All right. All right, we talked about this one earlier, but true or false, were there snakes or actually, yeah, snakes or no snakes around uh, for St. Patrick to banish from Ireland? No. No snakes. I'm always pro no snakes. So I'm <laughs> All right, everybody gets a point. No snakes. Woo-hoo. All right. The shamrock was considered a sacred fruit, a sacred vegetable, or a sacred plant. It would be a sacred plant. Yes, sacred plant. I'm going with plant, unless it's a trick question. <laughs> All right. Okay, these get a little harder now. Okay. All right. Where was the first St. Patrick's Day parade held? What country? Ooh. United States. I concur. Me too, I guess. Man, y'all looking at my notes over here. <laughs> All right. I definitely can't see that far away. Now, here's the question. Did did you happen to find out which city it was? Did it, did it list city? it? What, uh, it Boston, I think. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Cool. And then New York City. Yeah. And Chicago's got a huge uh, St. Patrick's Day Chicago. celebration. Yeah, I was wondering Chicago as well. All right. Last question, and I'm not really sure why this is a question, but corned beef and cabbage was originally invented in where? It was invented here. That is not a traditional Irish dish. But it's a delicious. And at that time, brisket's horribly expensive now. (laughs) But the reason it was is because the Irish came over poor, and it was a very cheap cut of meat at the time. All right. And then... Tom can't answer first on this one here. So, all right. So, what were the two, what were the two religions that fought in Ireland during the the war? Hint: We talked about it earlier. Protestants Catholics and Protestants. And, yeah. Protestant Catholic. There you go. Awesome. Well, as we get, as we start today, uh, today's topic uh, is about alcoholism. And so we just want to we want to talk about the topic. We want to we want to bring it up. We want to discuss what is alcoholism. Uh, what are some what are some some key indicators? What are some things that we can do as next steps to either help ourselves if we are struggling with alcoholism or others? Yeah, and Callie's going to read for us. I thought um, if we're going to talk about this, we should talk about the medical model and what um, the medical uh, association has to say about it. So she's going to read from the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual from the fifth edition, uh, the definition of alcohol abuse slash uh, alcoholism or alcohol addiction. Go ahead, Callie. 
Um, so alcohol-related disorders, it's defined as a problematic pattern of alcohol use leading to clinically significant impairment of distress or distress as manifested by at least two of the following occurring within a 12-month period. Alcohol is often taken in larger amounts or over a longer period than was intended. There is a persistent desire or, or unsuccessful efforts to cut down or control alcohol use. A great deal of time is spent in activities necessary to obtain alcohol, use alcohol, or recover from its effects. Craving or a strong desire to or urge to use alcohol. Recurrent alcohol use resulting in a failure to fulfill major role obligations at work, school, or home. Continued alcohol use despite having persistent or recurrent social or interpersonal problems caused by, caused or excurbated exacerbated exacerbated by the <laughs> effects of alcohol important social occupational or recreational activities are given up or reduced because of alcohol use recurrent alcohol use in situations in which it is physically hazardous alcohol use is continued despite knowledge of having a persistent or recurrent physical or psychological problem that is likely to have been caused or exacerbated by alcohol tolerance as defined by either of the following a need for markedly increased amounts of alcohol to achieve intoxication or desired effect, or a markedly diminished effect with continued use of the same amount of alcohol. Um, and then there's withdrawal as manifested by either of the following. The characteristic withdrawal syndrome for alcohol, um, or alcohol is taken to relieve or avoid withdrawal symptoms. Let me jump in on that too. I appreciate you, by the way, reading that because that was a lot of stuff to read. Um, I'll simplify it for folks. And uh, for those of you who haven't heard a podcast before, don't know me, uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Northside Christian Church, but I'm also a recovered alcoholic, and I spent about 17 years of my professional life as an addictions counselor. So the easy way to say this is if you have good reason to quit or slow down on your alcohol consumption and find you cannot or will not, you're probably an alcoholic. And another easy measurement is this. Non-alcoholic people don't wonder if they're alcoholic. If you have had to ponder whether you have a problem or not with alcohol, then the likelihood is you have a problem with alcohol. Especially if people that are close to you in your, your life, if you're married, your spouse, uh, if you're not married, you're single, but you're good friends, your parents, people are imploring you not to drink. Maybe you're not getting invited to places where there's going to be alcohol or people start treating you differently, hiding alcohol when you come over. These are good indications. But really kind of what I just said, the biggest one is if you're really struggling with should I, should I quit? Should I slow down? Should I somehow moderate my drinking? If you're missing work, if you're, uh, your relationships and the people you're hanging out with are changing or you're isolating and you're not hanging out with anybody, you're drinking alone. Yeah. Um, I was just reading some statistics today because I, it's been a while since I've been around the counseling community and, and alcoholism is actually on the rise. One in eight people has alcoholism. One in eight. Think about that for a moment. So if you don't have it, if you don't struggle with it, somebody you know is. Okay. Uh, one in eight. Also, I want to say this. Why are we talking about alcoholism? Why aren't we talking about opiates? Or why aren't we talking about addiction? And we are going to talk a little bit about addiction in general. But you need to know that we hear all the time about the op opioid crisis in the United States. T twice as many people die every year from alcohol-related injury and death than opioids. So we hear all the time about you know drugs and this and that. 
Why? Well, because society has decided alcohol is okay, so we don't want to talk about that. Alcohol ruins more families, destroys more lives, and kills more people than most other kinds of chemicals combined. Yep. And yet it's a very socially accepted mm-hmm. uh, drug, essentially. One of the things I was reading earlier was uh, abuse of substances and alcohol is the number one cause of preventable death in the United States. Mm. And just like to think about that we can prevent that death. And then you look at other things like of all domestic assaults, 50 per- 56% are alcohol-related, and 32% of all traffic fatalities in the United States involved alcohol uh, and, and people who are drinking and driving. So just you start thinking about all these ways that we could prevent you know, people from dying unnecessarily uh, or early or unexpected. It's, it's how much it revolves around alcohol. I, um, I saw a really interesting map one time, and I couldn't find a copy of it. But the map basically was uh, a study of crime. And uh, whether that's, you know, theft or, or um, attacks or, I mean, kind of you name it. And the way it did is it, it, it drew like a target around the places where there was the most incidence of crime. Mm-hmm. And liquor stores and bars were number one. So if you if you go around those places, yeah. if you find yourself frequenting, the likelihood of befalling some sort of crime mm. is is the highest of anywhere you could go or anywhere you could be. And that, I think that's a really interesting. It, like I said, I tried to find it and I couldn't find a copy of it. But picture a bar or a liquor store as sort of the epicenter of crime. Yeah, and w- one thing I like too that you brought up was, uh, you know, uh, I, I just want to get your your input on like when you when you're actually when somebody comes in and says, hey, I think I'm struggling with alcohol. If there's a particular uh, uh, conversation that you have, like one, one thing I came across here is called a cage assessment, a cage test. And it says, have you ever felt that you should see for cut down your drinking? Have you ever been annoyed? So A, uh, when people have commented on your drinking, mm-hmm. have you ever felt G, guilty or bad about your drinking? And then have you ever had an eye opener, first thing, E, eye opener, first thing in the morning or steady your nerves to get rid of a hangover? Yeah, yep. And, and that's a big sign, you know, most people, whether it's really we could talk about any drug or even habit for that matter, we don't start those things because we want to have a problem. Mm-hmm. Remember when, when I was a kid in the 90s, they had some commercials of, to that extent that, you know, no one started out to want to be a drug addict. No one starts out to want to be an alcoholic. And typically what happens um, is someone starts drinking because they're curious uh, maybe they're rebellious, or maybe they waited till they were legal age, and it's they're just doing it to be social. And we'll talk a little bit more about the genetic component to this, mm-hmm. but what you need to know is that oftentimes there's this sort of what we call imaginary line that's crossed. And most people don't want or try to quit and slow down until it's too late because you don't know you're crossing that line. Mm-hmm. And by, t- by the time you cross your that line into addiction, now, and, and we're going to talk more about this, but now you're going to have to have intervention. Now mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to control it or moderate it on your own. And again, most people don't try to control it or moderate it when it's not a problem. And so you don't know that you're crossing over this imaginary line. So a lot of times what I ask people when I'm having a conversation and I'm trying to get them to essentially self-diagnose is, you know, why are you drinking alcohol? Are you drinking it to be social? Well, if you're drunk at a party, you're not social. Mm -hmm. If you're drinking to be social and you're drinking by yourself, you're not being social. 
uh, if you're drinking because, well, I just can't relax without alcohol. I'm drinking because I can't go to sleep without alcohol. I'm drinking because I'm angry unless I'm drinking alcohol. Then what you've started to do is what we call self-medicate. And you may not be addicted yet, but you're definitely heading in that direction if you're drinking for those reasons. Yeah. Um, I don't know that I have anything to add, but I do have a question. You talked about alcoholism being on the rise. Why do you, why do you think that is? We are in an increasingly stressful, hard-driven society, and, and I, should, I should say that, that the statistics, I believe, were for the Western, Western cultures, not so much for worldwide. And I think we are having less and less uh, downtime and relaxation and peace built into our days and our structure. But also, you know, we would be remiss to not say on this podcast that having a grounding in our faith— and having uh, a moral compass and having a God that we can go to with our problems and our mm-hmm. issues has, you know, alcohol. And again, I don't want, I don't want to not talk about the genetic piece, but there's also an, an idol piece of this too, that, that, and food can be that sex can be that. So again, today we're talking about alcoholism. I don't want people to think it's the only thing, but one of the big parts of alcohol is it becomes an idol in our life. We begin to believe that it can solve our problems. And so I think it's a combination of things, Lori. I think uh, it's a really good question, and there are probably a lot of scientists working that out and and therapists trying to figure that out. But I really think it's just the stress of our culture. Mm -hmm. You said something about relaxation, and I think that's something I've thought about a lot lately. We don't always have the time or take the time to relax and and reflect. And I think sometimes alcohol can be, okay, this is going to just make me relax real quick. Like it's going to be a fabricated relaxation. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. This, this came up when you all were talking about just like relaxing and stuff. I remember when I was younger, it's got such a distinct smell that you can kind of gather what it tastes like Mm. just by the smell because it's so strong. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I was younger, I was like, why do you all drink this? Like when I would go to family cookouts and stuff, they're like, we just do it for like, how you feel after you drink it. You know, yeah. it was kind of just like, you do it for like how you feel afterwards. You kind of just get used to the taste. I was like, but if it doesn't, cause for me, I'm like, well, if it doesn't taste good. Why are you going to drink it? You know? <laughs> and so, um, yeah. yeah. So that was interesting. Cause I heard that a few years ago and that's something I've always thought about because it's just such a casual thing. They're like, well, you do it. Cause you know, it's you, for afterwards, you know, there's a lot of talk within churches and between denominations about whether one should drink or not drink. And I want to say right up top that we're not here to solve that problem today. I really do believe in most cases that's between you and God. Mm -hmm. I will say that, first of all, as a recovering person, that's why I don't drink. But for me personally, uh, I also know that the scripture implores me to uh, avoid even the appearance of evil and um, all the implications and leading others into sin. And so for that, for me personally, uh, I think it's good to not drink. Um, A lot of people say, well, Jesus drank. In fact, his first miracle was making wine, and that's absolutely true. There's been a lot of study, though, and argumentation about the level of alcohol content in the wine of that day versus the level of alcohol content in our Mm -hmm. day. And again, in many ways, that's neither here nor there, because what Scripture really says is, just like the Scripture says, be angry and sin not, it says drink and don't be a drunk. Yep. And that's yeah. really what we're talking about. We're not here to reform people. We're not here to, to go after alcohol and say that it's bad. What we're here to say is, if you have a personal relationship with alcohol, which is, which is dysfunctional, which is, which is crossing the line into addiction, 
we have resources. We want to help you with that. God, mm-hmm. more importantly, wants to 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 get to bring that and root that out of your life. Mm-hmm. And um, so I wanted to read, uh, and I don't want to hog the hog the time today, but um, we were talking ahead of time, and I was doing some research on scripture and scripture on alcohol abuse, and I have to admit. Uh, I had never read this. And so this is Proverbs, or if I did, I glanced over it. Proverbs 23, 29 through 35. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine. Those who go to try to mixed wine. Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. And I just thought that was really interesting because, again, I hadn't noticed that before, but also just the really strong warning. Um, I think I think our culture has a very nonchalant approach to alcohol, that it is seen as something benign and what the scripture is telling us is no matter who you are, even if you don't have a history of alcoholism in your family, even if you've never struggled with addiction before, that we need to give this thing that has, it's, it's medicinal. I mean, it has the power to alter your brain, literally alter the way you think. And in severe cases, put your vitals to sleep. People have drank so much that they've, they've anesthetized themselves and they die. So this is something that deserves our respect we need to drink it with purpose. We need to not be nonchalant about it. We need to model good things for our kids. And so we just want to approach this, pardon the pun, soberly. Um, and by the way, the definition of sober is soundness of mind. Um, some people think sober means to be without alcohol in your body. But what we teach our people in recovery is you can be intoxicated, and clearly when you're intoxicated, you're not of sound mind, but you can have, you can be rid of alcohol and still not be sober if you're not of sound mind making good judgments and good calls. So I've talked enough. Somebody else jump in here. Well, I just want to say, um, uh, you know, I know you talked a little about uh, the the genetics behind it um, and some of the genetic studies. Can you, uh, can you unpack a little bit of that for us today? Yeah, I can. Um, so, and I'm not a scientist, so you might want to do some research on your own if you're listening to this, but there is a chemical released in the body of an alcoholic called THQ. THQ uh, is produced in the body of an alcoholic at an extreme level compared to the average person. It has the effect on the brain of, we talked earlier about opiates. It literally is like a self-manufactured opiate. It affects the same lobes of the brain, the same areas of the brain. And whenever an alcoholic drinks, that's activated. So you're activating this highly addictive system. Um, A few other things about alcoholics versus non-alcoholics. It is impossible for someone without the genetic predisposition to alcoholism to drink until they black out. Anyone can drink until they pass out. Only alcoholics can drink until they black out. And what literally happens is, and the average person, your body will give out. You, you can't consume more alcohol than what your body can handle. If an alcoholic drinks quickly enough, they can go right past passing out to what we call blackout. The scary thing about a blackout is you're walking, talking, interacting, driving. I've known people that have blacked out and driven five states away and don't remember a minute of it. So if you have ever blacked out, 
you are likely either an alcoholic or a potential alcoholic. Non-alcoholics cannot black out. If you are the son of an alcoholic and your father is alcoholic, you have a 90% chance of being alcoholic yourself. And it's different for for different genders and different, you know, if your mom's an alcoholic, et cetera, et cetera. But hear me, if you are the son of a male alcoholic, you are 90% likely to also be alcoholic. Now, I am not, I don't limit the Lord. I don't limit what can be done. And that isn't a sentence on your life. Have I seen people come from alcoholic families and not become alcoholics? Yes. So I don't want you to hear this podcast and go, oh, if I ever touch a drop, I'm going to become an alcoholic. But you should take more caution and be honest with yourself. Maybe ask the people around you because it's definitely not worth falling into alcoholism and becoming an alcoholic. Yep. So are those statistics, do those apply to other types of addictions too, or is that? You know, that's a that's a great question, and I think my honest answer has to be I don't know. Okay. Um, having worked with a lot of addicts over time, I would I, my, my willingness is to say yes, but that I'm not basing that on science or stats that I've seen. So I just want to be clear about that. So I, I know as we uh, as we talk about alcoholism and and, and the what it is, uh, what it is not, uh, you know, pre, uh, we you know, genetics that that can predetermine if somebody who is going to be uh, struggling with alcoholism over others. Uh, I also want to take time too. I think it's important to talk about the solutions. So like the absolutely. next steps, absolutely. And uh, you know, in in the care ministry, we, we want to understand the problem. But we, we also want to make sure we spend an appropriate amount of time on the solution and give tangible next steps. So, uh, so I just want to open it up and say, you know, what, what are some of the next steps that, that people can do? If Now, this is for the, the, the person who's struggling with alcoholism. Uh, we'll have another, uh, another podcast, another session for codependency. But for someone who, the, the actual person who's struggling with alcoholism, uh, what is the best next step. If, if you'll allow me, Tommy, I want to share a really quick story. La- just a last thing to help people oh, yeah. sort of differentiate between what we would call maybe alcohol abuse and alcoholism. Okay. Because there are people who are not alcoholic who can still abuse alcohol. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a really good family friend. I won't use any names, but I'll just say growing up, every time we went on vacation with this family, I never saw this person without alcohol. Uh, if we went boating, they were drinking. If we were going out to eat, they were drink- They were always drinking. And as I got older and learned about my own alcoholism, I was just sure this person was an alcoholic. He was really overweight. A lot of that was the weight from drinking beer, etc. Well, he got into really bad health and he went to his doctor and his doctor told him, if you don't quit drinking, you're probably going to die of a heart attack. You've got a lot of obesity issues, etc. He quit drinking. He lost all kinds of weight. He's doing great. He's not an alcoholic. An alcoholic goes to the doctor, and the doctor says, you have all these reasons to quit drinking. They agree with the doctor. They shake his hand. They leave, and they wake up the next morning pounding on the, on the nightstand wondering why they got drunk again. An alcoholic has truly become powerless over alcohol. They cannot, by their own will and strength, and this leads into your question you just asked about the solution, they cannot by their own strength quit drinking even when they have good reason to do so. Yep. And, and so that really differentiates the powerless person as opposed to the person who simply has bad habits and is abusing alcohol. Well, one, one of my, my 
uh, my favorite things that Celebrate Recovery does is it, it helps folks get honest with themselves. Yes. And so uh, I, I know like one of the uh, the things you know I learned about a long time ago was uh, becoming honest with yourself and, and acknowledging that there's a problem. And so uh, routinely in Celebrate Recovery, and we'll talk about Celebrate Recovery in a second, but uh, is that uh, all of our leaders and, and even the, the folks who've been coming to Celebrate Recovery for a while, they know it's like, you know, my name is X, Y, and Z, and uh, I'm a recovering uh, substance abuse or, or alcoholism or et cetera. And so just being honest and, and recognizing, uh, you know, routinely that, yes, I am struggling with alcoholism. Uh, in just a second, Lori's going to read the first step. Um, and and I, there's no way to really convey this any stronger than this, and that is that if 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 we're going to get better, and here we can really say no matter what hurt, habit, or hang-up we're talking yeah. about, surrender is... There's no other. There's no other choice than surrender. That's it. Yep. There's no. There's no magic pill. Uh, therapy can help, but it's not a magic cure either. And simply showing up and attending things like AA, CR, these different twelve-step programs, even that won't do it. It really is an inside job. It really has to be a heartfelt. Heart I'm surrendering. I'm giving up control. I have tried to do it on my own. I can't do it of my own power. I'm going to surrender control of my life. And I can tell you from my own personal experience, that was, that was it for me. That was the change. And I can remember mentally saying, no matter what I have to do, no matter whom I have to follow, no matter what has to be done, I'm willing to do it if I don't ever have to drink or take a drug again. And I knew in my heart I meant every word of it, that literally someone could have said, Go down the go down the street naked, upside down on your skateboard, and that'll keep you sober. And I would have done it because I was willing to do absolutely anything. So, Lori, would you read the first step to us? Uh, yes. Step one: We admitted we were powerless over our addictions and compulsive behaviors; that our lives had become unmanageable. And the verse is Romans seven eighteen: For I know that good itself does not dwell in me; that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Thank you. Yeah. And and there's a great line from AA that says we have to fully concede to our innermost selves that we are alcoholic. And this kind of goes along with that story I shared, and that is that if you're an al- alcoholic, alcohol's not your problem. And if alcohol's your problem, you're not an alcoholic. Because it's the ism part. It's the alcoholism that is the issue. There's a reason that alcohol snared you there's a reason that you were reaching out for that for a cure and if and if that's the the case then there were problems before you picked up the alcohol alcohol was likely your trying to find a solution not Mm -hmm. not a problem so if alcohol is your problem you just quit alcohol and you're good well why do most alcoholics relapse because they're not addressing the things that made them thirsty in the first place and so I'll, I'll tell you mine. Mine was, I was absolutely just an angry youth, angry kid, rebellious, angry. And when I drank, I wasn't angry. When I drank, I wanted to have fun and I had a good time and I could relax and I was at ease and I didn't feel that anger. 
And that was why drinking had that allure for me. Well, if I would have gotten sober and not addressed what was making me so angry, I never would have stayed sober. And, mm-hmm. and so if you're an alcoholic, yes, the first step is getting off the alcohol and admitting you're powerless, but you cannot continue to do the same things thinking you'll stay sober. Um, I know I've been hogging a lot of the time. I'm going to read one more thing and then I'm going to back off. We, we want to get in the solution and the solution's God. And AA was the first 12-step program developed in the 30s for alcoholism. And this is what they have to say. Who cares to admit complete defeat? Practically no one, of course. Every natural instinct cries out against the idea of personal powerlessness. It is truly awful to admit that glass in hand, we have warped our minds into such an obsession for destructive drinking that only an act of providence can remove it from us. An act of providence, an act of God. That, that literally for the alcoholic, the only answer is God. And we know as Christians that that's in the name of Jesus Christ and in the power of Jesus Christ. And that he can and will, if you will seek him, remove the obsession and compulsion to drink from your mm-hmm. life. Hands down. We'll show you how to do that. We'll walk you through some steps that'll help you, but you need to know that Jesus is the answer. Well, as we get our wrap up, uh, you know, we're reminded that prayer is primary. And uh, I was going through, I was doing some reading this morning, uh, my wife and I, and we were looking at uh, some some Puritan prayers. And this one came across. So I just want to read this out as, as we pray out. And it's, uh, it's titled, I Need Your Protection. So, so let's pray. Um, Blessed God, I flee to your almighty power. Today I put myself under your protection. Let me make the shadow of your wings my refuge. Let your grace be sufficient for me, and your strength be made perfect in my weakness. I dare not say I will never forsake you. I will never deny you. But I can, but I hope can truly say, Lord, I resolve not to do it. I would rather die than offend you. Root out the corruption, corruption from my heart. In an hour of pressing temptation, it might sway me to view things in a different light and so might betray me into the hands of the enemy. Strengthen my faith, Lord, and encourage my hope. Inspire me to opposing everything that blocks my way to heaven, and let me set my face against all the assaults of earth and hell. If sinners entice me, let me say no. If they insult me, let me ignore it. If they threaten me, let me not fear. Give me instead a holy and ardent yet prudent and well-governed zeal to see others convicted and turned to you. Let me never be ashamed to plead your cause against those who oppose the faith. As the psalmist says, make me to hear joy and gladness in my soul, and I will teach transgressors your ways that sinners may be converted to you. My fears continue, Lord, but there is no one to blame but myself. I join you in the blaming me for my folly. Keep me, O Lord, now and always, whatever age or place in life I attain. Never let me think I am strong enough to maintain the combat without you. And even in my youth, even in my youth faith, Never let me imagine myself so weak that you cannot support me. Wherever you lead me, let me follow. Wherever you take me in life, let me work there faithfully. Let me fight the holy war against the enemies of my salvation. And let me fall fighting rather than abandon my post. You are my glorious redeemer, pioneer of my salvation, the great author and finisher of my faith. When I'm in danger of denying you, as Peter did, look on me with your majesty and tenderness. Keep me from falling or quickly lift me back up to God and my duty again. Show me how to learn from my missteps and to humble myself even in, gr- in even greater diligence and caution. 
Amen. I just wanted to add, Celebrate Recovery meets here every Monday evening at 6.30 p.m. If you're struggling with alcohol or any other substance abuse, or for that matter, any hurt, habit, or hang-up, we'd love to have you. Well, thanks for joining us. And to catch this episode or others, it's uh, 7 a.m. on Thursday mornings on either Facebook, Spotify, Amazon Music, or Apple Podcasts. And as always, you can catch catch us for more information on mynorsha.com. Love you guys, and we'll see you next week.